what's the first present you ever rece- remember receiving uh, for the holiday season? Um, I, I know I obviously got toys before this, but I just remember the big like Barbie year. I feel like it, it's common. Everybody's got that Barbie year where every toy is Barbie. Um, I think I got a lot of animals, like animals for my Barbie, horses, an orca, (laughs) like SeaWorld Barbie. Right. I'm so out of the loop on this. Did Barbie have an orca friend? Is that Mine I did? That's so cool. <laughs> that wasn't my first, but I know that I had, and I think it may still be resident at my parents' house, the Barbie RV that was very um 60s or 70s Winnebago looking. So Ooh. very boxy. Nice. Matthew, what about you? So the one I distinctly remember getting was my first Game Boy, which was the Mm. original. And uh, my brother got a very loud, like, noise-making toy because he's a couple years younger than me. And most of the reason I remember (laughs) it is because the drive home was me trying to silently play my Game Boy when my brother pressed every button on this toy and made as much noise as possible and i do think it was intended to annoy my parents because uh, my parents didn't get it for him um and but the, the right. one i have the most evidence of is uh a power ranger outfit um that was like the full outfit An and outfit. there's so many photos of me wearing it because i wore it non-stop out <laughs> yeah in public awesome. to kindergarten daily. <laughs> Everyone has that phase where they just wear the same outfit constantly, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that like was today. mine. Like today, <laughs> like <laughs> same outfit. It's Twitter, the same jeans, now. It's just go. exactly now. It's just business professional instead of Power Ranger outfits. <laughs> sure. What about you, Anne? I don't know that it was the first, but I remember getting a pinball-esque type machine that my mm-hmm. brother and I could play together. And as a now parent, I think my parents saw or felt the error of that <laughs> quite quickly because the the balls were not soft. In fact, they were just slightly less hard than a actual like pool ball and of course they after gameplay then became projectiles Mm. (laughs) at each other in general and they were hard enough that they bounced and uh, bounced off the fireplace like oh my goodness I don't know I somehow how... remember these things. So I, I, I think of like other people. To your point, other people can get my children these kinds of gifts. <laughs> I won't yeah. get one for mine. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, I love it. 
Well, today on our Tech for Business podcast, you might recognize the voices. We've got Anne, our Quality Assurance Analyst and GRC Specialist, and Matthew, our GRC Analyst and VCSO. And we're kind of continuing our customer question series. Um, and so we've got some common compliance questions. And I think I'm just going to pose all of these at the same time because I know they're going to feed in together and kind of build off of each other. So kind of the top four that we got were was um, why do I have to follow? I think the why is huge. Why do I have to follow a framework? Um, why aren't they all the same? Or why are they all different? Which one is the best? And where do I start? I'll kind of throw it to Matthew first. That's a lot. That's a lot of questions. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> okay, I'm going to try and keep them in line. I apologize if not. Um, well, let's just actually, instead, let's just start with the first one. Uh, why do I have to follow a framework? Um, yeah. You don't. <laughs> um, <laughs> in some cases, in, okay, in some cases, that's not true, right? In some cases, you do. You have regulatory requirements. You're a bank. You're a, you know, a healthcare institute. You do have to. Um, why do you have to? Well, not everyone has the same training. Not everyone has the same knowledge. Not everyone cares about the same stuff. Um, not everyone reads the same things. So the overarching answer of why is because, do I go the inflammatory answer or the the kind answer? Stuff it. Consistency. We, yeah, consistency. <laughs> uh, not everyone can be trusted to do all the things they're meant to do. Uh, at the same time, it could be that it's just impossible to know all this stuff. Um, this allows you to do something repeatable, something consistent, uh, to make sure everyone's following the same things. The why comes down to why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you follow a pattern when you don't have to, uh, when you when you can? Um, it's, I think I keep coming back to the scientific method. It's it's reproducible, it's consistent, and it's understood. Does that mean it's perfect? No, but it means that we know and expect the outcomes to be the same. And I'll, I'll actually, I'll give an example um, that's not from the tech world. Uh, I used to teach guitar. And with almost almost every single time I had someone who wanted to get better at um, learning solos from songs, there was a very consistent reason they couldn't learn it. And I'd have them play it for me. And I'd just say, just play it. Let's see where you're at. And then they'd play it, they'd they'd mess up where they messed up. And then I'd say, okay, now let's show me how you're practicing. And every single time there'd be a part they really, really liked. And it was the part right before it or right after it that they'd mess up. And so what they would do is they'd play the part they really, they basically were just playing the part they really liked over and over again. They were messing up slightly and then playing the fun bit or playing the fun bit and messing up and stopping and going back to the fun bit again. Um, that I feel is a, how I've seen many, not all, obviously, but many IT techs. They absolutely love one part of what network management is, so they'll focus on that. They'll ignore the rest of it because it's not as important to them. It's not as cool to them. It's not as fun. Frameworks make sure you're doing the whole solo and not just caring about the cool part in the middle. Um, yeah. I think that answered it. Anne? <laughs> hey, I 
I, I think the music analogy is actually a really good one, but it's it's ensuring that we know all the parts that make up and, and consistently know the parts. Um, it, it doesn't necessarily ever say you must meet it in this way. It leaves freedom to, to meet the requirements, whatever framework you're using. However, those requirements are still the same for everybody. If you're following one, one framework, that requirement is the same for everybody. And it, that it takes guesswork out. I don't have to, to do more research or, or understand or guess at, at what, what level of uh, compliance we want to find. We, it, it's spelled out. Um, as Matthew alluded to, it, it isn't always worded terrifically. It isn't always crystal clear, even in the questions that are, are reviewed and, and uh, reviewed and published and reviewed and published over and over. They're still sometimes clear as mud, but at least they give a, a definition of some, some achievable mechanism to strive for. Yeah. Uh 100% agree. Uh what was the next question? Uh so, why aren't they all the same? Yeah, the the okay. first is kind of why are, why are we here? Why are we talking about this? So now that we're here, why aren't they all the same? If we're talking about these frameworks, why are there so many different ones? Um Again, such a loaded question. Uh, um, <laughs> the answer is kind of the same as the first one, um, in that not everyone cares about the same things. Not everyone needs to care about the same things. Um, and I think that's the answer. They aren't all the same because they aren't all trying to do the same thing. Mm -hmm. uh, some people or some frameworks are trying to protect information in a very specific way. Uh, the NIST frameworks, uh, I'll, I'll talk about NIST 800-171, which is designed to protect classified, uh, sorry, confidential unclassified information, right? This it relates to things like um, contracts with government entities, uh, a bunch of status information, uh, a lot of information that is not considered classified information, therefore is not required to be kept in a certain way, but is more important than it, it could be used to cause trouble. Um, NIST 800-171 includes a whole bunch of things about um, making sure you can confirm someone is who they say they are when they walk into a physical location or when they check specifically for um, uh, things that are kept in uh, safes, lockboxes, things like that. Do you have cameras? Do you have physical entry guarantees? Do you have fobs? All the things that you'd expect in those types of locations. That's not the same requirement that someone has if they're um, fully digital, if they're not doing anything but data like that. That would be overkill for some, say, a fish and chip shop. <laughs> you wouldn't need that. That would be crazy to try and follow that. Um, they instead of what worried mostly about their credit card data, which is generally in you know it's it's on the credit card machines that are at the counter so they have a different requirement for what that looks like um and and that's why they're different that's why they 
aren't all the same, but are all kind of similar in a way. It's about where the focus is. Generally, it comes down to the data. Um, so where your data is stored, how critical your data is, and then how complex your environment is for how that data flows. Um, yeah. So I'm going to sidestep. Is there, this is probably a silly question, but depending on what you're doing as a business, is there a time in which you're using more than one framework? And are there some that fit better together? Most definitely. Um, they, yeah. It, so I think your your question ties in with the the next two questions, which were, which one is best and where do I start? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so the answer is yes. Uh, <laughs> Multiple people. D, are all of the above. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, many of the organizations we work with have multiple compliance requirements. Um, it is incredibly common to want to do that. Uh, in fact, there are things called meta frameworks that are designed to help with organizing that and covering more than one at a time. So you're not completing two questionnaires every day. Uh, they're often called crosswalks. Uh, incredibly useful for looking into, especially if you are one of these people. Um, healthcare industry, uh, healthcare companies that also take credit cards have to worry about HIPAA and PCI. Right out the gate. That's, you should be looking at both of those if you take credit cards in-house in any way, shape or form. So there's definitely ways that you'll be looking at more than one. Uh, and it's not uncommon for certain organizations uh, to have three or four that they track whether they're required to be compliant with them or not. Uh, in-house, we track multiple um, just because we want to know where we stand against them. Um, and I completely <laughs> agree. I would have used that exact example. The the idea that you can know even even your HSA card is a a debit or credit card um, that needs to be controlled, and and the entity has to control that to some <laughs> framework and it it's always better to have that that framework to not guess i don't want to guess about how i have to protect someone's credit card data yeah. i i can go to a guide and say hey this is where we're at this is how we perform this look i can i can go through a checklist however exhaustive and and find out where I need to be um, with reasonable certainty. There, it leaves out a great deal of the guesswork. Sometimes we don't like the answer. Um, sometimes <laughs> you don't want to know that you really can't just leave these credit card machines out wide open. Sometimes knowing what framework really means that you're going to have to to do a full scale change internally in process procedure maybe implement new, take away old that might be unknowingly harmful to how you protect your data. Um, but all in all, it's still a framework to go back to and say, this is how, this is how we do it. Exactly. And so I think that the best one is the one that suits your needs, right? With all of that, it's it's the one that's not doing too much. Um, just going into NIST 800 again, there is no need to follow the NIST 800 if you aren't storing uh, 
uh, CUI, CUI data. It is a great baseline if you want a very thorough review, but it's very thorough. If you were a small retail shop, following that would be cost prohibitive to the point of potentially shutting you down because you can't keep up with doing that and actually selling goods. It requires a full person generally to do that. Um, so it's about finding one that suits your needs, suits your level of risk, and makes you feel comfortable that it's still doing enough while not making you do too much at the same time. Um, and so with that, the last one was, I think, where do I start or where do I start? Um, and and we could go through the list of different compliance requirements and, and <laughs> yeah. describe which ones we think are the best for what purpose. But if you don't have any physical requirements, if you don't have, you know, FDIC or the FTC saying be compliant with us, if you don't have HIPAA data, if you don't have any of that stuff, the NIST CSF or the NIST uh, cybersecurity framework is a great starting point. Um, yeah, it, it was designed, if I'm remembering my history correctly, to be exactly this. We'll take as much of the NIST 800 framework as we can, condense it into the cybersecurity items that allow us to do a general baseline. Um, it is the closest thing I think there is to a actual baseline that isn't something like ISO, which can also be cost prohibitive for people. Oh, yes. Uh, <laughs> um, those reviews are always fun. Um, the NIST CSF is talking about it and where to start. Um, the number one thing for me is language. Uh, because oftentimes when you're doing this, the terminology used has a very specific meaning that may be completely different to what you intend or how you use it in-house. And oftentimes when I see people who've started and gotten lost or started and then potentially failed an audit, it's because the person doing it, when they started, made a bunch of assumptions about how things work. Um, as a quick example, um, within the NIST 800 guidelines, an incident is any event that is any uh, cybersecurity occurrence that causes or could have potentially caused a significant uh, loss to the organization. Um, this doesn't mean anytime anyone nearly clicked a link, it's a problem. It means anytime you've looked into it and gone, this could have been a problem. So you're defining what counts as an incident for your organization. Within the HIPAA guidelines, it's a little vaguer. And personally, I read the HIPAA guidelines as anytime you do get a phishing email, whether it's in when it's whether it's uh, aimed at a person or it's just a generic phishing email, technically that's a HIPAA incident. Um, so because of that, that alone is a huge distinction when you're defining how you handle incidents. Do you keep that same language? Do you change it? So when I'm starting any of these, I will pull up their definitions list because uh, they always have one and it's generally huge. Um, and that gets printed out and put next to me. Um, and then I start reading through the questionnaire and I just make sure the words mean what I think they mean. Um, thinking about PCI and they use the word, they say CDE or the credit data environment, but then they also use the framing network. They also use environment just in general. Keeping in mind the CDE is purely the environment that has credit card data in it, and your network may include the CDE or not, and your environment includes everything. So 
that distinction alone is worth wrapping your head around before you start, or else half of these questions are going to sound identical <laughs> because they are if you don't have the definitions for what each section means. And nope, spot on. <laughs> I, no, it really is. I I don't think I could have said it better. Um, it one thing I I caution in that. Um, very often you don't actually get to pick your mm. framework. Mm -hmm. um, but there should be an oversight entity, agency, something like that, that is actually if required to provide what, what framework, what level of framework that you're required to abide by to start. And that often comes in contract requirements, agreement requirements, that kind of thing. Um, however, um, leaving leaving that to guests is is never a a good methodology either. <laughs> I guess I, I'm tiptoeing around that very gingerly. Um, it doesn't do any any good to kind of scatter plot the the framework you think might work um, and just use uh, like saying ISO 27001. But do you know what that means? You might go down a whole different path in in a costly mistake of, mm -hmm. of trying to achieve a, a level of, of compliance that isn't necessary where the the CMMCs and the even the financial industry some are are more complex and less, but where you find those those, I guess, overlaps is where you're going to find your efficiencies too. Once you're finding the 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 framework that is required for you, you're you're seeing where you're meeting all of this, and it starts to become routine to your business and and your general operations, where it's not really an audit. It's just kind of a, a temperature check on where you are at a given time. Thank yeah. you. CIT uses uh, has a SOC audit and and SOC to type to. We can go and look at that framework whenever we need to, and we do self audits against that. And that's where we can internally say, "Hey guys, how we doing? I know we were we were looking at these access lists. This is the requirement. Hey, we can communicate where that is, and that makes it easier to educate too." Not to totally go on tangent, but I, I do like having <laughs> the whatever framework it is, it it serves to uh, to also get the buy-in in through education. I mm -hmm. I don't think there's any one framework that no one really loves to go and say, let's audit against our compliance of anything. But if you can really understand where that framework comes from, what what's its intent, and then going through and say this is this requirement meets this spirit and intent for access control. I just throwing out yeah. different ideas, it becomes real. It's not just a, a checkbox on a list. It's a no. We we definitely want to update our access, make sure our access lists are current. Um, and as you go through whatever framework, you're able to see that those those levels of of uh, true up to to ensure that the consistency is applied really are meaningful. 
it it really is. I want my my vendor to review their access lists every week or every year. Sorry, but <laughs> whatever that that is in your in your given industry. So I not only do I want to do that because I want to make sure my my information is accurate, but that that's that level set for for your vendors, for your customers. Even there there's so much uh, so much more clarity in being able to say here's where the rules are, here's where they lie, even if they come in, you know, 250 question lumps. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, you know, then, which is super fun to Matthew and I, but probably not to a, a normal. I mean, Anne and I got done with a meeting earlier today uh, that was a security review like this, and it was two hours of us just answering questions. And at the end, I said, you know, time flies when you're having fun. And I actually got, we got an agreement from the, uh, the people we were working with, we which I, you know, anytime yeah. someone can see as much joy in it as we do, I'm happy. Uh, <laughs> the one last thing I'll mention, uh, when I, when I moved into cybersecurity, it was basically out of necessity at a previous organization. Um, I was doing a lot of internal testing as well as a lot of, a lot of work as a network admin, um, for customers as well as for the organization itself. And as soon as I started doing that, I realized from a technical standpoint, there was no, without a framework, there is nothing that says, here's what's most important. Because if you have that mindset, which is where I was in that place, uh, you're basically just running around finding what's coolest, uh, not dissimilar. Which to is also fun. It's I mean, a lot of fun. It's that playing that same part of the, gu the guitar solo over and over. It's it feels cool, uh, but it doesn't actually help you perform it as a whole. If someone were to watch you, they don't want to hear you play the first three seconds of Stairway to Heaven over and over. <laughs> so because of that, I started looking into the framework specifically. Basically, exactly what Anne said, finding one that made the most sense for the organization, finding one that we could hit consistently without overworking the team, and then seeing where we stood up to that and working from there. At the same time, my first run through it, I did mess up. I did exactly what Anne was talking about. I didn't really gauge it properly. I also didn't follow my own current advice, which is read through the definitions because I thought I knew it already because I'd been doing this for so long and I believed that network administration is network administration. That's not true when you start looking <laughs> at the compliance uh, items. So really, it is important to keep in mind that if you're doing this, have a purpose for it. For me, it was about guiding myself, finding a way for me to direct my energy more efficiently. Um, because when you are a solo technician as a network admin or something for an organization, it can feel overwhelming because you are doing more than one thing at a time. So really look for what works for you. If you do have contract requirements, those are first. That's where you should start. If you don't, the NIST CSF is a really good baseline. If it feels too basic for you, find something else that builds from it. Um, but there's there's so many out there uh, that really are designed to help this way and to make your to make you sleep better at night, which is what I keep, which is what I always say compliance is actually about. Um, don't try and do the bare minimum. Do the baseline and then try and beat it. Uh, that's the goal. Uh, but make sure you're doing the baseline first. <laughs> Thank <laughs>
so play the whole um, guitar solo <laughs> yeah that guitar it was such a good uh analogy I mean, um I, I just the reason I keep coming back to it and and I think about this <laughs> at least once a month there's one person I taught in particular because um the reason they came to me is because they said that they were, they were an older student and they said their partner was sick of hearing the first minute of their favorite song forever. Oh yeah. They wanted to be able to play the to whole learn song. The exactly. Of the song and that's or... really like that. So many things I think about uh, thinking about this individual and just being like, yeah, I can see why that would have got annoying for their partner. <laughs> mm -hmm. for sure. No, we want to do the whole song. And then once we can do it all, Maybe we play it a little less often. <laughs> <laughs> well, that kind of leads me into my my last question, um, and then I'll kind of open it up if there's anything else. So let's say you've got a framework, you've you've put it all into place, and things are going well. How often are you reviewing? Other than if things in your framework change, um, is this yearly? Is it monthly? What does that look like? Most of the and. frameworks will typically guide where they want you to be. I always recommend more than that because no one wants a surprise mm -hmm. as you're assessing yourself or have an external auditor. Um, and, but yeah. we, we had this today. You should always write your policies of, of audit tier to the requirement. And if you exceed that, fantastic. <laughs> but exactly. We'll we'll keep it at at the requirement and shine if it's better. Keep it keep it where it's at if as need be. Yeah, exactly. Stick with their baseline of what their requirement is, and then put your own spin on top of that. If use their language, if they say this is what it needs to do, say this is what we do. If that's what you do, like follow their language. It's really in there for a reason. Um, and then and then again, just build from that. It will evolve. It will change. Um, you mentioned changes to frameworks, and they do happen. There's a lot of really big ones going through right now, especially to NIST. They're adding a new pillar, which mm -hmm. is, I think, the first time they've done that since they invented the pillar system. Um, so it's a huge change for them. Uh, and that's fantastic, but it does mean a lot of people will have to answer their questions again. So. Do the baseline, try and make it better, do it as much as you can. If something says do it annually, try and do it every six months. If someone says, if something says do it quarterly, try and do it every month, but at least do it quarterly, at least do it annually, whatever that minimum is. Love it. Well, thank you so much, Anne and Matthew, for joining us today. Um, if you enjoyed this podcast, please like and subscribe. It's how we know that you're interested in these topics. Um, if you have a question or topic you'd like us to discuss, reach out to us at info at cit-net.com or head out to our website, cit-net.com slash podcast. And we'll be back next week with an all new episode.